This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, how's it going? This is Matt here from Silver Fortune. So in this video, in this uh, podcast today, we're going to be talking about some some really foundational knowledge uh, that, that I talk about a lot in, in my work, mostly regarding uh, two terms that I use all the time, monetary and fiscal policy. And I want to talk about not just what those are, because sometimes I realize I use terms that may be foreign to people that are new in this community or just aren't as you know into to economics or politics or whatever as others. But also, I, I want to talk about this in a broader scale, uh, why today's age of fiscal and monetary policy are irresponsible and they're unsustainable. But first of all, to, to the basics, what do I mean when I'm talking about fiscal policy, particularly irresponsible fiscal policy? and monetary policy. Well, fiscal policy essentially boils down to a a country's uh, spending, their their budget. Where do they spend their money? Where do they tax, uh, etc.? So, for example, if we take a country like the United States, how much are they spending on uh, Social Security? How much are they spending on on programs like Medicare, Medicaid, defense spending, and, and all of the other various agencies and the other uh, baskets that they that they put this money into? How much are they taking in in terms of revenue? Whether that has to do with uh, income tax on, on individuals, corporations, tariffs, etc. And then what's the difference between those two? What's the deficit? That's basically, in a nutshell, what fiscal policy is. And so if you want to tweak fiscal policy, you can increase taxes, you can decrease taxes, you can spend more money, or you can spend less money. You can create a larger deficit, or you can create a smaller deficit. Or, this seems so foreign, I almost forgot to mention it, but you can technically have a surplus. It's just something we never see in in most modern countries. Uh, I should say all, but most. And so relating fiscal policy and, and kind of irresponsible policies today, you know, the big theme that, that I want to get across in this video as to why it's so backwards, why it's so irresponsible, is that both fiscal and monetary policy, which I'll be discussing here in a second, they're both predicated on this idea of let's bring forward growth to now or the next year, the next two years. And experience any sort of pain, any sort of consequences from that later. So in the case of of fiscal policy, that means more spending and in some cases, uh, fewer taxes. So for example, Trump tax cuts. Uh, Now, I'm not going to criticize tax cuts necessarily because uh, I I think in, in principle it's a good idea, but it did increase a deficit and it is bringing forward growth and pushing out that pain later. And what do I mean by when it, when I say bringing forward growth? What I mean by that 
is that whether it's through spending or through tax cuts, the 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 federal government, and this can be technically a state government, it can be a city government. We're mostly talking about the, the countrywide governments here. They are choosing to try and stimulate economic growth. And so if it's by spending money, what they'll do is they'll take in taxes or they'll fund it with deficits. And they'll spend that money to then uh, try and drive economic growth. Now, this can be on a variety of things. It can be uh, for defense uh, programs, right? Maybe they're, they're essentially funding, you know, factories that, that produce, you know, uh, new, new, new fighter jets or, or new bombs or guns or whatever it is. Or maybe it's paying the salaries of, of, of the various uh, service members in, in, in a country's military. Uh, maybe we're talking about infrastructure programs. Maybe we're talking about paying for something like Medicare, which helps to, to support the economy. I mean, think about how large the, the healthcare sector is here in the United States and many other countries. That's, I mean, they're, they're trying to stimulate growth by doing that, by paying salaries or by buying stuff. And they're choosing to bring that growth forward and try and delay the pain that is experienced with this extra spending that comes in the form of deficits. And, and they delay that by basically writing an IOU, we'd call it a, a bond, right? A treasury bond or a bill or a note where, where you're delaying that out for X amount of weeks, months, or years. There you're going to roll over this debt continuously, keep bringing forward this growth to the now and deal with it later. Now, tax cuts work on a similar principle. You're going to increase the deficit. And again, we'll worry about paying off those bonds. We'll worry about the, the, the effects of that later. And we're going to take less of, of people's hard-earned money. And, and they're going to be able to keep more. And in theory, they're going to spend it. They're going to stimulate economic growth. It's going to drive the increase of gross domestic product, GDP. So in a nutshell, that's how fiscal policy works. That's how governments try and stimulate economic growth over the short term, bring forward that growth, and delay the pain for later. It's delay the deficits for later and, and, and the damaging nature of, of massive amounts of debt, as well as you know the alternative, uh, inflation. Right? When I talk about these Trump's tax cuts, uh, it's a tax cut, but you got to understand you're going to pay that tax one way or another. Uh, it's it's likely going to be in, through inflation one day. It's going to be an inflationary tax. But anyways, fiscal policy. Let's move on to monetary policy. Now, when I talk about monetary policy, I'm talking about central banks. So in the United States, that'd be the Federal Reserve. In the EU, that's the European Central Bank. In, in, in the UK, that's the Bank of England. In Japan, it's a Bank of uh, Japan. Uh, China, it's People's Bank of China. Right? Canada, Australia, you know, all these other countries, they have... For the most part, their own central bank. Now, I mean, there are some unique situations like the EU. Uh, now, I don't know how many of the member states have their own central bank, but for all intents and purposes, it's the ECB that drives uh, monetary policy in, in the EU. Uh, and so central banks have a variety of tools that they have used or potentially could use in the future to try and drive economic growth as well. And it's based on the same principle as with uh, with fiscal policy, you are choosing to bring forward economic growth and delay the pain for later. Now, we've seen two primary tools that they've used uh, post-Great Recession, post-financial crisis, and that is interest rate policy. That predates financial crisis. And QE, which, you know, on the scale that we saw it at least, was was first really used uh, post-financial crisis, post, you know, or during the Great Recession. But so we'll start off with interest rates before we get into to the 
the the uh, topic of QE, I guess. So interest rate policy, basically, central banks they they have what they would call a an overnight rate. It, it's sort of the baseline interest rate that most interest rates throughout the economy are set on. So in the United States, not every interest rate is is predicated on where the Fed funds rate is. That's the, the interest rate that the Federal Reserve sets. A lot of debt and a lot of interest rates are also set on things like where's the U.S. bond market at in terms of the yields, what's the LIBOR rate. But the Fed funds rate is a pretty important. It's kind of like the baseline. It's, it's what they lend out to other financial institutions at on an overnight uh, uh, basis, you know, very short term. And so, you know, it's, it's a very important interest rate that that can influence the entire economy. And, and the idea is that if you bring down interest rates, you're going to drive economic growth and, you know, inflation, which, you know, the Fed and, and, and central banks are always talking about, you know, targeting a certain inflation level. But, but really at its core, yeah, there's that piece of it, but there's also the, uh, the economic piece and, and really, you know, in theory should achieve both of those things at the same time. So what I mean by this, when you when they lower interest rates, it has two different effects. First of all, it has the effect on those that are seeking to take on additional debt to fund something. Now, this could be somebody taking out a car loan, a new home loan, or a mortgage. Uh, this could be a company taking out a new loan to to build a new factory to expand their production or in some cases buy back their own stock uh that's you know lower interest rates that's what they're trying to do is they're trying to stimulate more credit creation more debt creation to drive economic growth because if you think about it if you go out and you apply for a new credit card and you get x amount of dollars in your limit you go out and spend that well you've driven economic growth You've, you've spent something now over the long term and this is where it comes to the delaying the pain thing well, now you have a maxed out credit card and you have to pay that down at some point or else you know, default on it. And and when you have this at a countrywide or a worldwide level, because remember, interest rates have never really been this low probably throughout human history, you got a bit of a problem. And that's kind of where we're at right now. They've, they've brought forward this economic growth for years and years. And that's just one piece of it, the, the, the debt, the credit creation piece of it. The other piece of it is savings, meaning those that choose to put their money in some sort of a savings account, a money market account, a, a, a uh, maybe CDs, you know, certificate of deposits, uh, invested in short-term treasury bonds, etc., at a relatively low yield, which in the past, you know, two, three, four, five percent, depending on what tool, what investment we're talking about, uh, when they bring down their interest rate, all those interest rates come down with it which means there's less incentive to save in those savers, which in theory should be a good idea for an economy to, to save, for, for consumers to save money, corporations to save money. Instead, they're, they're going out and spending that money. And on top of that, they're also taking out more and more debt. And so that's kind of the, the, the target of their interest rate policy. They're bringing forward economic growth, and, and they would say you know inflation too. But what they don't always tell you is that they're also pushing out the pain, pushing out the, the problems uh, off into the future, i.e., more and more debt, and you know the other piece of this is is also the inflationary piece that lower interest rates can be inflationary, uh, lar- uh, creating large amounts of inflation than, than than central banks would would like. Now, the other piece of of their policy is quantitative easing. This is a little bit more difficult, I guess, to understand. Uh, people will call it quantitative. 
At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. The other piece of, of their policy is quantitative easing. This is a little bit more difficult, I guess, to understand. Uh, people will call it quantitative easing money printing, and then other people will come on shouting and say, no, it's not money printing. Well, it is, it is, but it's not maybe money printing in, in, in the traditional sense of, of you know a central bank going out and... There's other types of money printing, I guess I should say, that may be reflected more in the broader economy or, or, or maybe there's this idea out there that they're printing money and then they're just thrown into things. And that's not necessarily the case. Basically what they do is is they bought, they, they printed money. They did print money. It's, it's money printing. They bought a massive amount of, of assets off of large banks' balance sheets to 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 increase liquidity and to ease monetary policy or ease uh, financial conditions, I should say, to encourage lending, as, as we we're talking about earlier, and to basically also with kind of the goal of, of lowering interest rates, uh, whether it's in the bond market or the global or the global the broader economy. So they bought all these, they added them to their balance sheet, uh, trillions of dollars worth. When we're talking about the Fed. Uh, Bank of Japan has done the same. ECB has done the same. Bank of England, I think, has done the same. Uh, that's what QE is. And again, it, it's kind of the same idea. It's just that central banks learned pretty quick in the last crisis that they only could lower interest rates so far. Now, that's not entirely true. They, they could have gone negative, and some did choose to go negative. The Fed did not. But even then, you know, they're, they're, they only can go so negative, in, in theory, or at least we'd hope. Um, and so they had to have some other tool, and that was QE. Let's buy up all these bonds. Let's buy up all these mortgage-backed securities. That's primarily what they bought in the United States. Now, overseas, they buy other stuff, uh, uh, ETFs, you know, basically equities uh, and, and, and things of that nature. But, again, another tool of, of bringing forward economic growth over the short term and pushing out over the long term. And so in a nutshell, you know, if somebody asks you, you know, why is the Fed a problem or why is what we're doing right now so unsustainable or why is the debt or why is modern monetary theory so unsustainable? You can tell them that basically what a country is choosing to do at the national level is to bring forward economic growth over the short term and to try and delay that pain as long as possible. And it gets pretty ridiculous after a while, right? You have a country like, like Japan, you know, their central bank, they, they have, I think they're in a negative realm in terms of, of their base interest rate set by their central bank. Their uh, balance sheet, uh, I believe, is over 100% of their country's GDP. To put that in perspective, I mean, you think the Fed, you think the U.S. is bad. The Fed's balance sheet, I think, just dropped back below $4 trillion. 100% of GDP would be, you know, like 20-some trillion and so, you know, the Fed looks like a very hawkish central, central bank when you compare it to the Bank of Japan. Uh, but, but make no mistake, on the current path that we're on, this idea of let's keep trying to delay that pain. Let's keep interest rates low and lower and lower and lower. Let's keep up with these QE programs, expand them, etc. You are eventually going to end on the path of, of Japan. 
and, and ultimately that pain is going to be experienced in one way or another. This pain, excuse me, this pain of debt, the increasing debt at the national level and at the consumer level, corporate level as well, that debt is going to continue to drag on your economy. We're seeing that already in the United States. I mean, think of think of how good our economy would be if at those different levels, at the, at the national level, at the state levels, city levels, the corporate levels, and the consumer levels, if the debt was just 10% less than what it is right now, 20% less. Now, you got to understand that that you know, that debt accumulation, it did drive economic growth during that time span. But had it not been created, you know, consumers today, states, cities, corporations, and the national government would be less encumbered by that level of debt. They wouldn't have as much as far as debt payments, their credit worthiness would be higher, et cetera, et cetera. There's a lot of benefits to not having as much debt on your balance sheet. But that doesn't necessarily mean that that debt always needs to be paid, at least at the national level. What do I mean by that? Well, you're not only delaying the debt or delaying the pain to, to an eventual debt reckoning. The other option at the national level, and this is kind of where fiscal and monetary policy are kind of joined together, the other option is to never pay that debt and just keep racking up more and more debt. But to do that, you need a central bank or some money printing entity to help you out. And and that's, I think, where the U.S. is eventually heading, higher and higher deficits. Ultimately, there's going to be fewer and fewer buyers, meaning that rates are going to have to go up. Yields on those bonds are going to have to go up unless there's some other buyer that steps in. And that's got to be the Fed. Now, the Fed has done this in the past. They did their QE. They bought those bonds. Now, they didn't buy them directly from the Treasury, but for all intents and purposes, you can consider it debt monetization. That's another term that you'll hear thrown around, debt monetization. That means when a a central bank basically prints money to finance a national government's deficit. But but I think what we're going to enter into here in the future is is either a formal debt monetization, again, where where, where the Fed uh, uh, says, never mind about the bonds and we'll just give you money to, to make up that deficit, or they're going to do basically what amounts to debt monetization, what they did last time around, and buy up all these bonds to try and and increase demand in the market, take some of that supply off the market, and enable the government to to continue to spend. But but what's the problem with that? You may not have a traditional debt reckoning where you have a default, where you have all uh, massive amounts of of, of uh, uh, loss and, and growth and whatnot because of of the level of that debt, and then. And, and the the expense of, of all the interest rate that uh, all the interest that you've paid on that debt. Uh, the other alternative is inflation, right? We're talking about debt monetization, printing money to fund the deficit. Well, we're talking trillions of dollars of money printing uh, on 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 a yearly basis, and and that's going to be highly inflationary because that money is going directly into the system one way or another, and it's again not going to end well. You, you, the the whole premise of central bank policy today in the United States and in many countries, I don't want to make a broad generalization and say all, but many, central bank and and, and fiscal policy is to bring forward economic growth indefinitely and hope that we never have to deal with consequences in the future. But you only can stretch these rules so far. And eventually it's going to snap back pretty violently. You know, I, I I would say it's akin to, you know, if we can make the comparison to your own finances, 
This would be like if you got a payday, you know, this upcoming Friday. Okay, you, you pay off all your normal bills, but you, you still have bills in over the next two weeks that you have to pay, whether it's food, whether it's it's gas, or just other bills that haven't arrived yet. But instead of choosing to buy those this upcoming weekend, you choose to spend the rest of your paycheck. Well, you got a problem. Okay, now you're you got about a thousand dollars plus of, of obligations, we'll say. It doesn't matter the amount, but let's just say you have a thousand dollars of obligations over the next two weeks. Uh, and you have no money to do that. Well, you go out and buy a credit card or buy a credit card. You apply for a credit card. Uh, you take out a credit card and now you can use that to, to pay off your obligations. Now you got that debt. You're carrying that debt at a pretty high interest rate, but you were able to, I guess, have more fun or consume more or whatever you spent that money on over the weekend. And you push out the pain a little further because now that debt you know, you don't have to worry about that for another month. Uh, and then you can just make minimum payment on it for a while. And this goes on for a couple more months. You, you keep racking up. You, you max out one credit card. You take out another credit card. You know, you keep going at this until ultimately they say, no, we're, we're not going to give you any more credit because you're maxing out and you're barely making the minimum payments. Now you got a problem. So you pawn off some stuff. You, you get up enough. You get enough money. And, and you go out and you... Uh, somewhere in the black market or something, you go and find a counterfeiting machine, a really high-tech one, right? Uh, or maybe you're just going to print $1 bills and they never check those and then that's your plan. I don't know. But let's say you go out and buy a counterfeiting machine and you start counterfeiting money. Well, great. Now you can pay off all those credit card bills if people don't notice that you have a, a mysterious uh, form of cash flow. You, you can have more fun. You can consume more. You can pay your bills. Great. Well, until the feds catch up to you. And, and then it's really game over, right? Like, never mind bankruptcy, never mind uh, uh, losing your house or whatever, you're likely heading to jail, okay? Except we're talking about this at the national level, right? We get to that same point, except once the Fed starts counterfeiting money, well, there's not any repercussions. I mean, they are the Federal Reserve there. They have that power. They've been given that power to... to uh, have control over the creation of the nation's money supply. So what happens then? Well, they're not going to jail, right, for, for counterfeiting. But that doesn't mean that they're off the hook. That doesn't mean the rest of us are off the hook. And that's a real dangerous thing about this is it's not just one individual person kind of ruining their own lives. No, the Fed is is doing this to to the whole economy. And, of course, the the, the end result of that is going to be inflation because we're not just talking somebody cranking out uh, $50,000 out of their basement with their counterfeiting machine. We're talking trillions and trillions. We're talking about no end in sight. We're talking about uh, countries across the globe realizing, yeah, yeah, that Fed has gone off the deep end. There's no sustainable, there's no notion of sustainability in terms of their monetary policy. There's no coming back from this QE infinity or, or zero or negative interest rate policy. We're going to start ditching the dollar slowly, maybe, but surely. We're going to reduce our dollar reserves. We're going to sell off our bonds, and it, it doesn't mean it's going to be all of them or anything like that. And and don't get me wrong, the same things can be happening in China and Japan and the EU, likely. Uh, maybe not all, you know, maybe not all those places at the same time, but they all kind of operate on the same rules, and they currently operate on the same technique to try and achieve economic growth. But it's going to happen eventually. And that's ultimately when, you know, whatever term you want to use, the, 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 all that 
growth that you've brought forward, you know, you're, you're going to be able to bring forward smaller and smaller amounts of growth using larger and larger amounts of stimulus. And, and eventually that pain is going to arrive either in a debt reckoning, especially at like the consumer level or, or the corporate level. And at the national level, because of the money, the pr- money printing that the printing press, it's going to be a inflationary reckoning, right? And you can call it debt reckoning because that's basically what it is, but it's going to be inflationary rather than a deflationary or deleveraging type of, of event. So that's what's coming. I, I hope this has been helpful to you guys. I want to make this a little bit more educational, expand on, on what I'm talking about here when I say monetary and fiscal policy, uh, especially in a irresponsible sense, and, and talk about why this is unsustainable. I mean, think about how long this has been going on. Uh, there are people out there saying that that you can do this indefinitely and and they're not wrong that you can do it indefinitely in the sense that yeah the the u.s government never needs to default on their debt but there's there's going to be a lot of pain associated with that in the inflationary sense so i hope you enjoyed this i hope this has been helpful to you guys as always if you have an idea for a future video or podcast leave it down below in the comment section i'd be happy to do it if it's you know what halfway decent idea i'm you guys are smart i'm sure you guys have some great ideas so let me know down below in the comment section As always, I'd like to thank you guys from the bottom of my heart for watching this video, listening to this podcast, and God bless.